It's Sunday morning, time for some jazz. Five songs, five stories, five artists in the continuing series, Songs and Stories, Supplemental Jazz Edition. This is part 51. Tough to believe that here we are, 51 shows later, considering this was only ever supposed to be a one-off lark. And yet here we are, finding an audience and slowly building from there. Now, I of course do realize that the audience for jazz is very tiny, but the jazz audience is one that very much does appreciate and love the music. So, to start this Sunday morning off, get yourself a hot beverage like I have, freshly brewed cup of coffee, Loblaw's finest. That's not a shout-out to Loblaws, because the Weston family is a bunch of money-grubbing billionaires who need to give back to their employees, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to start things off today with a classic recorded on November 26, 1961 at the Village Gate in New York City. From the album Gets at the Gate, the Stan Gets Quartet live at the Village Gate. The song on this album will soon celebrate its 60th birthday just a few weeks from now. I think that's pretty monumental when you consider how spectacularly influential this record is. This is Blues by the Stan Getz Quartet. Thank you. 
Blues, recorded November 26, 1961, almost 60 years ago. Quite an influential recording from an influential player. Featured musicians on that recording, uh, bass player John Neves with a very interesting bass solo towards the end of the composition. On the drums, Mr. Roy Haynes, and piano, Steve Kuhn. And of course, Stan Getz was the man who made Bossa Nova famous in North America. And for the large part, or the larger part, he was mostly, or partially, or largely responsible for the creation of the style. Basically due to the fact that, uh, uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this name correctly, uh, why, oh, hmm, ja, it's spelled J-O-A-I, J-O-A-O, so it's at Hoyo Arwayo, Hilberto, Hilberto, and Antonio Carlos Obim, famous uh, Brazilian jazz musicians that he collaborated with, and they um, largely, for the most part, created uh, a new sound in conjunction with one another. So... Yeah. Of course, Stan Getz's most famous composition, uh, which, well, famous recording, I should say, because it was not his composition. He did not write the song, but he made it famous worldwide in uh, 1965. Uh, 64, actually, sorry. Um, it was recorded in 63, released in 64, and it won a Grammy for Record of the Year in 1965. It was written in 1962, uh, with music by Antonio Carlos Hobim, and uh, the original Portuguese lyrics were by, oh boy, Vin Vinches de Moraes. I hope I pronounced that correctly. The English lyrics were written later by uh, Mr. Norman Gimbel. The first commercial recording of this was by Perry Ribeiro. Now, the Stan Getz recording featured the vocal debut of Astrid Hilberto, the wife of... Uh, how wow Joe Joe Mr. Hilberto. I'm I'm terrible with the pronunciation. I should look it up, I guess. Uh, that would be a, the appropriate thing to do. Uh, now Astrid had never sung professionally prior to that recording, and yet there you have it, Grammy of the Year, Record of the Year, a million seller, the girl from Ipanema. It's a little background for you. Of course Stan Getz died uh, from liver cancer. Um when was that night? 1990? 90 or 91? Sorry, June of 91. He passed away, so 30 years ago this year since he died. He was uh, an interesting character, to say the least. He had, um, well, Zoot Sims once described him as a nice bunch of guys, <laughs> sort of alluding to the wide range of his personality, much like many musicians in the jazz genre. Yeah make you think of Buddy Rich, who could be both a joy and a pleasure to be with and an absolute nightmare at the same time. Stan Getz was no different in that respect. He did suffer from his addictions for a number of years and was jailed a few times. Now, along with his first wife, he was being processed on the third floor of a um, jail while his wife was giving birth to their first child on the floor below. True story. Anyway... Stan Getz, the late Stan Getz, originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 
All right. I'm going to throw this one, uh, this next composition, to um, the uh, album recorded in uh, 1965, January 20th, 20th through the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of 1965. This is from the album ESP by Miles Davis, the great Miles Davis. This composition is titled Mood from the great Miles Davis.
is definitely a mood for certain. From the 1965 recording, ESP, Extra Century Perception, of course, is that what that means? And that album was uh, known as Miles Davis' uh, second great quintet. Of course, the artists featured on that, or the musicians, I should say, featured on that. Mr. Wayne Shorter, tenor sax. Herbie Hancock on the piano. Tony Williams on the drums. And a co-writer on that composition, Mr. Ron Carter on the bass. Of course, Ron Carter was also a trained cellist who has a master's in music. Yeah, still very much alive at the age of 84, although he hasn't played in some time. Um, I, I think, uh, well, according to my research, he he was a featured guest in an uh, interview uh, with uh, Rick Beto on YouTube in August of uh, this year. But as for live performances, mm, I don't have any, any recent... Um, information about that. His last recording was in 2018, the album Remember Love with Houston Person on High Note Records. Great Ron Carter, magnificent player. And of course, what more can be said about um, Miles Davis? I mean, you know, <laughs> it's Miles Davis, the man who defined uh, cool. Well, I mean, one of his albums was titled Birth of the Cool. One of the most influential musicians of the 20th century, without question, as he played all styles, well, all styles of jazz, and got into fusion and rock as well, and the later part of his career, largely influenced by his young wife, Betty Mabry, who, of course, after taking his name, is known as Betty Davis. Of course, Betty spelled B-E-T-T-Y. She was a, a model that, well, Davis described her as a high-class groupie who was very talented, but she didn't believe in her own talent. She was a familiar face in the New York City counterculture scene at the time in 1968 when they married. She was only 23, but uh, was a major influence on Miles as she introduced him to new sounds. I guess, from what I understood, he uh, started to listen to The Birds, Aretha Franklin, Dionne Warwick... James Brown, Sly and the Family Stone, Jimi Hendrix. I guess Jimmy's band, the Band of Gypsies, made a major impression on Miles Davis. They weren't married for very long, only about a year, and uh, they split. Betty is uh, still alive. I don't know what she's up to these days. She kind of dropped off the... Um, well, I wouldn't say the face of the earth, but definitely dropped out of the uh, spotlight for a number of years. And uh, back in, I guess, in 1975, she recorded an album titled Nasty Gal. It was her third studio album. She produced it herself. And it peaked at number 54 on the U.S. R&B charts. And then she didn't release anything until uh, 2009 when she released an album titled Is It Love or Desire? So a, a large gap in uh, her musical career. Well, nevertheless, she uh, was quite the interesting young woman. Well, at the time, of course. <laughs> um, she's, my goodness, 
How old is she now? 74, 75? 76. Born in July 26, 1945. ESP, Miles Davis, a great album from start to finish. Uh, described as a combination of jazz, well, hard bop, post bop, and modal jazz. With collaborations by an, a number of musicians. Only one original composition on the album, Agitation, uh, the, by Miles, that is. The rest were all by his band members, Ron Carter, Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, and, of course, the uh, two collaborations, Mood and 81, with Ron Carter. ESP, Miles Davis. Spectacular album. Very um, uh, ethereal, I think is how I would describe it. I'll let you make up your own mind. Okay. Next recording is a composition from uh, Stanley Turrentine. This is um, the remastered version from the album. That's where it's at. This is Soft Pedal Blues.
Liz McCann, of course, the pianist on that composition. That, of course, was recorded in on January 2nd of 1962 at the Van Gelder Studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. It was his... Um, uh, one of only two collaborations with uh, pianist Les McCann. They would only, uh, that was his first one, of course, in, in 1962, and they reunited again in 1984. So a bit of a gap between recording for those two, 22 years between recordings. It was uh, on the Blue Note Records uh, label at the time when that was done. Of course, um, that composition, Soft Pedal Blues, uh, is a Stanley Turrentine original. Uh, spectacular record. I'm, uh, it's, it's one that uh, I like to put on when I, I just need something to soothe me. Because I find that recording is absolutely that. Soul jazz and hard bop. Very soothing. Of course, Stanley uh, passed away in... Uh, uh, September 12th, 2000, at the age of 66, uh, he died of a stroke, sadly. So I'm sure there was a lot of music left in the man. He, he flirted with different styles throughout his career. In the 70s, he touched on jazz fusion quite a bit when he was recording for the CTI label. He was once described as Steve by uh, critic Steve Huey, uh, as uh, he was renowned for his distinctively thick, rippling tone and earthy grounding in the blues. Well, I can't argue with that. He's the younger brother of trumpeter uh, Tommy Turrentine. Uh, Tommy, um, also quite famous in and of his own right, he passed away in 1997. He was a swing and hard bop trumpeter composer throughout the 40s and 60s. He rarely worked as a band leader. He was almost always a sideman with uh, drummer Max Roach and quite often with his brother Stanley. Of course, they both hailed from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I believe Stanley is buried, originally from the Hill District, which I don't know if that means anything to you. It, it's an area of Pittsburgh. I've not been to Pittsburgh yet, but I may go someday to see a... Uh, a hockey game. Maybe venture down at some point in the near future to watch a Sens-Penguins game. We'll see. Time will tell. Of course, Stanley was featured on literally hundreds of recordings throughout the 50s and 60s, as he was a prolific player and was very much in demand. He recorded with a number of record labels throughout his career, mostly with Blue Note from 1960 to 1989. And in the 70s, he recorded multiple recordings with CTI records from 70 to 73, three albums alone in 1973. He moved on to Fantasy Records, then Elektra, and a multitude of other labels. As a sideman, he recorded with Shirley Scott, Kenny Burrell, Donald Byrd, Roy Hargrove, Freddie Hubbard, Diana Krall in 1994 for her recording Only Trust Your Heart. He also uh, worked with uh, Duke Pearson, Ike Quebec, Dizzy Reese, and as mentioned previously, Max Roach. He was quite the player and very much in demand throughout his entire life. Like I said, sadly passed away at the age of 66 in 2000 from a stroke. That's quite young. 
even for the youth out there that might be listening to this, although I, I don't think there's a whole lot of 20-year-olds that are listening to this recording or this, this podcast, because jazz isn't for everyone. It is an acquired taste, much like whiskey, beer, and wine. And I like all three of those things, too. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on to a, uh, a young woman from uh, Denmark. This is from an album recorded, uh, or sorry, I should say released on April 16th of uh, 2021 on the April Records label. Yes. This is Cecilie Strange uh, from the album Bleiken. Bleiken? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, but it's a, um, it's a um, Icelandic word. It's an old Icelandic word which means to shine or to appear. This is a Nordic jazz noir, Cecilie Strange, with her composition, or sorry, yes, it is her composition. I believe she did write it. Let me just verify first. I believe she did write it. This is When Sunny Smiles. Now, it could be incorrect about the uh, the writing. I'll, I'll get back to you on that in a moment. I'll just do a little bit more research. Sometimes I, I, I forget things as I'm putting the show together. This is When Sunny Smiles. Cecily Strange.
Silly Strange with her original composition, When Sunny Smiles. Now, the title was confusing to me because there's a, a great number of songs with the title very similar, which is why I had to verify that it uh, was indeed an original composition. She wrote it for her sister, which I think is uh, a lovely thing to do. Cecilie Strange, young woman. Uh, from Denmark, as I stated earlier. I think she's only about 24 or 25. She began playing uh, music when she was, um, I think, oh my goodness, 12? If if memory serves? Yeah, she was uh, started playing the sax at the age of 12. She grew up in a, you know, a very musical home. And, of course, music uh, throughout Europe, uh, musical education is not frowned upon. It is actually very much encouraged as it helps round out the individual. Now, North America, they used to think that way, and at some point in time, somebody decided that academics was the only thing we should be pursuing, but um, we've discovered that that's just not so, as music is math. So, incorporate music into a student's curriculum, and you discover that they will excel in ways that you did not know they could. But that's a different story for a different day. And I don't want to get too philosophical on you now. So I have one more composition for you today. And this is from a gentleman who has been uh, recording music since, my goodness gracious, um, the early 1960s. He's been uh, both a a band leader and a sideman and has... influenced a great number of individuals, although I've not featured him on this show in the past. I may do so more so in the future because he's worked with a literal who's who of jazz, blues, and soul. He's about 75 albums he's recorded as a band leader. This is Mr. Houston Pearson. Pearson. Person. Houston Person. My goodness gracious, Paul. Get it right. Get it right. 
This is from his 19, uh, 2019 recording, I'm Just a Lucky So-and-So. This is his composition, or sorry, his interpretation of the 1932 composition, Willow Weep for Me. Oh, 
saxophonist and uh, he's, he's worked in both hard bop, soul jazz and swing varieties for that matter all three quite the uh, accomplished musician who has been a band leader since 1966 and is featured on hundreds of recordings, quite literally he originally hails from um, Florence South Carolina he played uh, piano before he switched to tenor sax and he studied at uh, South Carolina State College and he was inducted into that school's Hall of Fame in 1999. He was a member of the United States Air Force, and he joined a service band while he was stationed in West Germany. His career kind of took off shortly thereafter. Again, he's 75 albums as a band leader, and has recorded with a who's who of jazz, blues, and soul. Lena Horne, Etta James, Lou Rawl, Sonny Phillips just to name a couple, along with Bill Charlap, Ron Carter, and Charles Brown. The magnificent Houston person. As I said, I've not featured him in the past, but I will do so in the future because the man is a talent. Well, we've reached the end of today's program, and I hope you have enjoyed yourself. I've enjoyed putting this together for you as I do every Sunday. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday ahead. Have some time to relax and take in the glorious day that we have placed in front of us. Try and find some gratitude where you can because there's no telling how much time we have left on this earth. So wherever you are in this world, I hope you're happy and healthy and feeling content. Enjoy the jazz, my friends, until we meet again. Take care. <laughs>